Coming up this week, we chat the new World Cup cycle, events in Associate Nations, questionable pathways, Super League cricket, and the recently concluded African Men's T20 World Cup qualifier. But first, a thank you to our Emerging Cricket patrons. If you're passionate about cricket in the Associate world and beyond, you can help us grow from as little as $2 a month by becoming an Emerging Cricket patron. To sign up, log on to patreon.com forward slash Emerging Cricket. Up next, a busy week in the Emerging game. Hello and welcome again to the Emerging Cricket Podcast, online and on Sport FM in Perth. A full compliment again, boys. Tim, Nick, is uh, both joined by me, Daniel Beswick, for all of the Emerging Cricket action. And there has been a lot as we try and clean up a wealth of news, both on and off the field. First of all, Tim, looks like you've just walked off the tennis court. Uh, big Goran Ivanisevic style. Uh, how, how did you play today? I was more the scud in its truest terms. Um, inconsistent is probably the way that could best describe my time on the tennis court. I've spent longer on that court than I have for the past, oh geez, maybe 20 years. Played tennis when I was 12 or 13 and not much since, but no, it's good to have a run around. starting to warm up nicely, so good for those of us that are trying to delete some kilos um, off them. But, uh, but yes. Big left-handed serve, Tim? Well, being left-handed, I don't really have a choice. But yeah, that, that was probably my most inconsistent factor of my play. It's always the hardest to, to do in all of the, the tennis skills. If anyone ever goes out there and, and tries to play tennis, it's, mm. uh, yeah, bring back the underarm serve in its prevalence, full Nick Kyrgios, so we can all feel <laughs> feel comfortable playing on the court. Yeah, it's a, it's just unnatural, isn't it, having it above your head like that? And, but, well, we talk about certain game where many things are unnatural that we, uh, that we have to do, you know, bowling for one. But, no, things are, are good here. Last week, Monday through Wednesday, we had all 40, staff from the Vanuatu Cricket Association in a room for planning 2022 so flew people in from Malakula, Tana and Santo so that that was really good it's the first time I think they've all been in a room for a number of years so good to get everyone creating had them into six different tables and got them one of the activities to to each design and and produce a 60 second TikTok style video promoting cricket. Some of those were fun. Yeah, it was good. So you could see the glee come out when people had an opportunity to do that. You could see the, the creativity come out. But no, it was a really good three days. But um, yeah, I'm all good, Bez. How are you? Good. About to enjoy a few days off after a World Cup campaign and then the start of what will be a ridiculously big summer trying to do two jobs almost at once. And that's before we even factor emerging cricket in again. So We'll be good to, to head up to Catherine Hill Bay for the next sort of three or four days. Apparently the forecast isn't great. Did really want to get some vitamin D and, and only you guys can see me uh, and not anyone else listening. But I've kind of turned into Casper the Ghost. Be friendly though. <laughs> yeah. The lighting probably doesn't help either. But yeah, it, it was a fun tournament to be around and, and, and you yeah, know, talking to... Kerat Erasmus a couple of weeks ago was was a highlight as well and and just the joy that kind of came out of his mouth but Nick let's welcome you in because you've held the fort of the podcasting team you had the rock yourself uh Nate 
and and PDP yesterday with some stateside action. Uh, there's a Patreon actually coming out for that as well for, for those who are with us on Patreon. Uh, make sure to keep up with everything going on in the world to, to sign up to our Patreon from two US dollars a month. <laughs> but Nick, how are you? You've been flat out on the, on the podcast front. Good to be back with the two of us or did you just enjoy Nate and PDP's company a little bit better because you guys seemed to go really well last week? Oh, well, see, the good thing about PDP and Nate is that uh, you can just set them off and they'll uh, they'll just go and go and go. So, you, I, I had to do very little work. <laughs> you wind them up mm. and they'll go forever and they'll give you gems, pearls. Just, just gold. Yeah, it was great. And, and it's, I think it is good to get their perspective because they see it from the American sports perspective and, and they kind of bring that angle, which is, is quite interesting. And um, yeah, just one of, one of Cricket's many valuable insights from around the world. I'm all right. I'm, I'm not, I don't have two jobs. I'm just doing the job of two people because uh, <laughs> we've had some, some staff issues with someone you know, quitting and uh, uh, moving on during lockdown. So um, yeah, very busy at the moment. But <laughs> Finding time for cricket, obviously. Uh, The chat of the USA is a great segue into our first proper topic, and we'll get to that in a moment. But I just want to bring up something that's happened this week in the emerging game again. Uh, We saw our cash for comment friend in cricket (laughs) once again advocate T10 as the vehicle of the cricket Olympic Games movement. I don't know if anyone saw this person in question with, you know, the money falling out of his pocket as he went to collect it, boys, but just... (laughs) I don't even want to name him. Does, does that man just have an alarm on his phone set periodically <laughs> where he just decides, you know what, today I'm just going to earn a little bit more cash and, and say that T10 cricket is the is the game's future for the Olympics? Probably more of an alarm in his bank account. and you know, <laughs> yeah. Running a little bit low this week, boys, yeah. <laughs> yeah as soon as the check clears, he, uh, he releases that statement. Yeah, I, I, it's kind of like a uh, kidnap, like a hostage with a gun just off screen. You know, I, the Tom Jones episode in The Simpsons. Yeah. Yeah, keep smiling. Everybody's happy. <laughs> Hi, Mod. Um, anyway, that's. I'm glad that you brought that up and not me. But uh, just off screen, there's someone. Yes, T10 for the Olympics. Everybody's happy. <laughs> yeah, you don't need to be a genius. And if you Google T10 Olympic news, you, you'll be able to find it. Anyway, let's move on. We've already given it too much time. Yeah, it's on Morgan, by the way. <laughs> Some news to come out uh, in the last week or so. And we are catching up from a big World Cup and all of these announcements coming through thick and fast. Some good, some bad. We'll, we'll try and get to all of them. The first one, several associate members have been given co-host rights for a number of men's global events coming up in the new cycle between now and October 2031. Uh, we'll see the USA host a chunk of cricket at the 2024 T20 World Cup. It's looking like around about 20 matches with the new 20-team format. Hasn't been anything set in concrete as to how that 20-team tournament runs. But the early speculation is that there'll be four venues in the USA. Florida, you would have to say, is is definite. The Airhawk State in Dallas, Church Street Park in North Carolina. And then the fourth venue is kind of up in the air. There's rumors of the Oakland Athletic Stadium, which is the right shape if, if you look at it. But if you follow US sports, the athletics have kind of threatened to relocate a number of times and, and leave Oakland. And that venue is seen as quite lifeless. But just to go through... Uh, all the men's events, 2024, Windies, uh, the West Indies in the USA with the ICC Men's T20 World Cup. Pakistan will host an ICC Men's Champions Trophy in February 2025. And we'll talk about the Champions Trophy, I suppose, in, in a little bit as well. India and Sri Lanka, February 26. 
the ICC Men's T20 World Cup again. South Africa, Zimbabwe and Namibia to host the ICC Men's Cricket World Cup in October, November 2027. Australia New Zealand will host the 2028 ICC Men's T20 World Cup. India, the ICC Men's Champions Trophy, October 2029. England, Ireland and Scotland, June 2030 with the ICC Men's T20 World Cup. And India and Bangladesh, October, November 2031. I don't know if I'll be alive then. I hope to to enjoy some of this this cricket. But Namibia as well, another story, 2027. Just another tick to the work that they do there. Boys, did we make a whole lot of this? I mean, we'll have to cross the bridges when we get to them on this road to global events. But it is good to see that the game will be going to other parts around the world. And hopefully associate members can make the most of the situation, make most of hosting these events, Tim. And we'll see some good cricket as a part of it with some new formats. Yes, great to see Yeah, Namibia, Scotland there. You know, last time Scotland hosted a global event, that was uh, 1999 World Cup. My question is, as co-hosts, when you've got three countries, for example, with South Africa, Zimbabwe and Namibia, do they get automatic passes to that or do they, they only give a single automatic pass to the main host? It's been a burning question around the community that has not been answered by anyone, but my understanding is, yes, they would all play as co-host probably don't take that with too much on face value but yeah you would think that with a 14 team format and three teams already locked away granted two of them are full members and one of them is probably the best one of the best associate members at the moment it still makes it awfully tricky and we'll talk about it in a moment with the new qualification pathway structure and qualification is used with a very loose term based on what they want to do for it but that's my understanding anyway Yes, but great to see that. You know, West Indies USA joint bid, um, like we knew that was happening and we know how keen the ICC is for the game to grow in the USA, I guess, and, and, we, and we all are. So that'd be very interesting to see how well that will be hosted, especially with the Olympics coming up four years later in that same country. But I think from a planning point of view, it's just great to see it all laid out there. It's a lot easier for teams to be working towards this. I know from an associate member point of view, it makes it a lot easier for, for teams to, to plan, especially from an associate perspective. We haven't heard about funding cycles and, and how they may be affected post-2023, as we know that we're coming up to the next rights deal. And we, we've heard that the media rights might be sold in smaller chunks. So what that means for funding and scorecards and tournament funding is... Is, is all TBC, but uh, it's great to see those associate names there as hosts. Yeah, it'll be interesting, uh, Bez, you, you said it was um, nothing set in concrete, but um, Oakland Athletic Stadium is set in an awful lot of concrete. It's uh, <laughs> pretty... Um, <laughs> pretty unpleasant place from from all reports so it'll be yeah it'll be interesting to see what cricket does with it if indeed cricket does go down that path and and the a's um the a's move to greener pastures but um yeah usa y- you'd hope it'll um improve the the profile of the game in, in the states but you know talking to pdp last week he's a bit more skeptical about that because he, he feels that you know that there, there isn't the sort of cricketing culture in the same way as you know everyone talks about the FIFA World Cup in the USA really galvanizing the sport there but there was already a sort of thriving youth scene for soccer which there isn't really and and I mean they they might well be in maybe 10 years time but probably not in three years time so that's a bit of a question mark but yeah as you said great to see the ICC being a bit more open towards giving these tournaments to associates I mean I'm just thinking World Cup matches with Bri on the boundary at at Wanderers in uh, in Vintook is that'll be fantastic (laughs) Um, I think we'll have to try and make a return trip there but yes yeah great news overall and um, yeah we'll would have been nice to see a couple of others. Um, I'm thinking Malaysia, mm. maybe Oman, you know, a couple of those other associates who, who have very good facilities, but they, they missed out. Although, 
you know, there's th- these are all just the men's events. So quite possibly you could see, I mean, Malaysia have hosted an under-19s World Cup in the past and uh, could have some, some women's events going to some other associates as well. So hopefully they, they do get spread around and, and just um, maybe by then Rwanda would be able to host a, a youth World Cup or something. So just the thought, but uh, yeah, overall, very good move. We haven't really had a chance to compliment Oman and, and the work that they did at this T20 World Cup with not a whole lot of notice. We're able to put on a pretty good Group B of, of the first round. They weren't given a whole lot of notice. I think it was July and August when they found out they were getting it and they raced and it looks like, you know, having watched Cricket World Cup League 2, they're just weeks out from the tournament. It looked like it wasn't going to be completed, but they managed to get everything up and running. And yeah, a lot of credit needs to go to Pankaj Kimji and, and everyone there. But yeah, they were glaring emissions. And I thought Malaysia would have put forward a, a really good case, especially to host some sort of preliminary action in, in one of the tournaments. But we don't really know the extent of how many games a lot of these nations will end up hosting. There are rumors of... West Indies and USA and and the split being 60-40, but it's too far down the line to be able to even speculate what the possibilities of 2027 are. The return of the Champions Trophy, again, doesn't really... (laughs) Just a zombie tournament, isn't it? (laughs) ...give me a lot of inspiration. It's not a particularly sexy tournament, I don't think. I I, kind of struggle to to see its fit in the grand scheme of things. It's not a World Cup. It's not a bilateral series. I mean, it is probably infinitely better than a bilateral series, but it just seems to be this weird tournament that's just kind of put there for the sake of of holding a tournament. I think if you actually extended it and almost went in the old style ICC knockout tournament with 16 or even, you know, 24 teams in some sort of play-in for a chance of playing against some of the big boys, it it makes a little bit more sense. But do we want to get into the pathway structures for the uh, men's Cricket World Cup? Because it's the elephant in the room that we need to address here, fellas, unfortunately. And it's it's one of those things where it just seems to be that all the good news that we hear come through... There always seems to be a bill at the end of the night that we have to pay <laughs> just to get the good stuff, right? And and it's not how we really want to see the game. We we want endless opportunities, exponential growth, etc. But we keep coming back to the same problems and everything the ICC giveth, the ICC taketh uh, with the new pathway structures for the 50-over Cricket World Cup on the men's side. There's still not a whole lot of chat as to how the women's one will go. There's... A Women's Cricket World Cup qualifier going on at the moment. But from an ICC press release, and I'll, and I'll read this to you boys and, and to everyone listening. Following the expansion of the ICC Men's Cricket World Cup to a 14-team event in the next cycle, 2027, the board accepted a recommendation from the Chief Executives Committee that the primary avenue for qualification for the event is based on rankings at a predetermined cutoff date with the 10 highest-ranked teams on the MRF Men's ODI rankings qualifying automatically and the remainder being determined via a global qualifier. There's a lot of chat here, and you would like to think that the Chief Executives Committee would have a a bit more of a cosmopolitan outlook on a tournament like this, Tim. Unfortunately, as Nick points out in, in our notes, there are only three associate member reps. What is the thinking behind this decision? Because it seems so glaringly obvious to everyone outside of this committee that rankings are a poor way of determining how teams qualify for a tournament, first of all. And two, and we will talk about the ODI Super League seemingly being scrapped straight away. We haven't even reached the conclusion of the first ODI Super League. So how can you determine that the format is a bad one when we haven't even seen how this cycle and how this framework ends up? It's 
befuddling to me. I'm bereft. I echo your sentiments. I, it's just a it's a face palm. It's a own goal. Uh, it's just a schmozzle. What I suspect has happened is that the larger full members have flexed their muscles to say, well, look, we've given you this bigger World Cup. We want more space for bilaterals and playing against who we want. Thank you very much. Therefore, we'll go on rankings, uh, meaning that the larger teams can continue to play against the larger teams, um, which for me, this, this couldn't be worse for smaller full members and the, the higher associates. You know, the fact that the Netherlands has guaranteed matches against these nations, but also the fact that Zimbabwe and Ireland and Afghanistan have guaranteed matches that they don't have to go out and negotiate with the big boys to ensure they, they get games against them. So I just, it's just such a, it's such a disappointing piece of news. And although they have not said out loud that the Super League is binned, you know, I think that's, that's basically everything that we've heard. So we've sort of just run with it from there. It's the writing on the wall, isn't it? Yeah. So it's... We've been talking about for years how great the, the Super League was and how it could be expanded. You know, we've got 20 one-day international teams. Now, you could have... Okay, let, let's see. What, what are the problems with the Super League? Is there too much Super League cricket for these countries and they want to organise bilateral cricket? Great. Have four pools of five and you only play four series over that two-year period and then the top two from each of those groups auto-qualifies and then the rest fall back into a global qualifier. And it's only those one-day internationals played over that time that, that count towards it. You know, there are so many other ways that this could have been cut to have some... You know, there, there's there's things at play for these these series that would otherwise be bilaterals. And now we're going back to where we were before and, and what started this entire conversation about having Cricket World Cup league structure so there was an easy pathway to to explain to people but now what what, what are we going to be left with this the doesn't matter if the netherlands comes 10th or 11th they're just going to drop straight out and fall back into whatever world cup league two one of you so if there's no super league i'm assuming there won't be any world cup league two again do we go back to a world cricket league structure you know it's just so like i said face palm and the silence coming out of the icc about it probably tells us that so as you said giveth take it away yep Great to see associates be co-hosting and, and bigger 50 over tournaments and bigger 20 over tournaments. But if they haven't had the games to get there, you know, what, what has been written about the associates' performances at the World Cup and it not being at a certain level because their players aren't getting the same experience in T20 cricket, it's going to have the exact same effect only amplified if they're not getting games against the best teams and then they come into a World Cup and they're potentially outmatched even more so then you're going to have the same people saying, oh, well, why did we expand the World Cup? So they should not be getting this experience only at the World Cup. You know, this isn't football where there are, you know, hundreds of nations that are playing and it's rare that you'll play, you know, every football nation and sometimes you come up against them for the first time at a World Cup. But we're talking about these teams, you know, we're talking about 20 teams that have ODI status and some will not play against each other ever and only the chance they'll get will be at a World Cup. It it shouldn't be that way. You'd be cut so many better ways that'd be better for the development of these nations in the game itself so yeah disappointing yeah i mean obviously i agree with you in terms of the implications for development it's just it really throws a bomb into the you know the pathways that the icc spent a lot of effort you know trying to get this whole super league cricket world cup league to challenge league or this whole structure 
I remember talking to Richard Doan at, in 2019 about, about it, and he put so much energy into this. And, and, you know, a number of people in the development teams have fought tooth and nail to get an actual coherent structure around international cricket with a clear pathway for teams to move up and down and, and reward performance over time, basically. And that, that's, that's the whole rationale for the current structure is if you're doing well, you have the opportunity to move up in the, you know, move up in the cricketing world and, and, and get fixtures against good teams and, and continue to improve, qualify to, to World Cups, etc. And they're just binning the whole thing. It, it makes no sense whatsoever. And I mean, yes, we've talked all the time about how the rankings are, are pretty bad. And I mean, that's one issue. And that's one issue because, you know, obviously the high ranked teams can manipulate it. They can, you know, quickly play a series against someone not very good and, and get some points or, or, you know, refuse to play a series if they're worried about losing points or, you know, it, it's open to so much manipulation. It's just a bit of a joke. But looking, even, even if you only care about India, Australia, whoever, it's still a really bad decision because before the Super League, people were complaining about all these, you know, pointless bilateral series and, you know, meaningless cricket. And it was right. It was true. You know, Australia would fly over to England for a random five-match ODI series that wasn't related to anything. And everyone will just forget about it five minutes later. And what, what was the point of that? But, you know, now you have an actual structure where those bilateral series, oh, actually, if you lose these games, maybe you'll miss out on World Cup qualification. You know, obviously, that's probably not going to happen to the top ranked teams. But even still, the fact that you could explain to people who are maybe getting into cricket, okay, well, this series uh, is being played for World Cup qualification. Points on the line. Here's the points table. That's something that makes it easier for people to follow cricket, not harder. And, you know, going back to the sort of Victorian era, oh, yeah, we'll just play a random series here or there and whatever. There's no connection to anything and just an occasional World Cup every now and then. And there's no there's no coherence. It's just it's so frustrating that they they took pretty lukewarm. But, you know, they took a step in the direction of mm, having absolutely. an actual structure. And then now they've they've you know they've dipped their toes in it and they've decided that nah we're we're not we're not jumping into that, so it's just so frustrating. And you know, think about the Netherlands; uh, they've been hurt the worst out of all of this, really, because they're they're the middlemen in all of this. Well, and if you if you look at until the Super League, they played twenty five ODIs against full members, twenty five in you know their entire existence as a cricketing country. And with the Super League, they got twenty four guaranteed ODIs against for members and and that's in three years so you know the 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 difference is stark and to think that you know any of these higher ranked full members like england would ever play a three-match series against the netherlands without being forced to by the schedule it's it's ludicrous you know why on earth would england fly over to the netherlands if they don't have to well, the answer is they wouldn't because look at the number of games they've played against associates that they haven't been, you know, obliged to by ICC scheduling. So, and and it's not just the Netherlands. Like Ireland, Afghanistan, they have to beg for fixtures against higher-ranked teams. Even Sri Lanka struggle or the West Indies. So, just the fact that they're getting rid of the guaranteed game time for even for low-ranked full members, it's just a terrible decision in every way. It's, and having 14 teams at the World Cup is good, but honestly, if 
if you're going to lose the Super League and everything it means, I mean, it might even be not worth it. Like, if it has to be a, a, a direct trade between a 14-team World Cup and a Super League, having the consistent cricket over a longer time period is probably better for the for the associates than, you know, occasionally appearing, popping up once every four years at a World Cup. This is probably the stat that drives it home. And, and this is when we talked about last year and the year before that the ODI Super League had the potential to actually save the format because between you guys and and everyone listening at home if you go and think about a random one day international series and what happened in that series i challenge you to remember anything more than the, the series result of that tour because the games just don't mean anything outside of global tournaments and qualification for global tournaments for me and, and i'm sure it's it's something that a lot of people think as well because there isn't any significance behind it there's no point remembering it. And people will rattle off numbers of, of careers and stuff like that. But when it comes down to it, people want to win trophies. People want to qualify for World Cups. That's how champions are, are made and that's how legacy is forged. When the Netherlands won the World Cricket League Championship in 2017, which actually got them the qualification into the Super League as the 13th team, between January 2017 to January 2019, they played two one-day internationals since regaining status. They played against Nepal, didn't they? Who else? You're right, Tim. I think it was those matches against Nepal. In comparison, in the same time frame, Sri Lanka played 41 internationals, one-day internationals in that time. You don't need to be a rocket scientist to work out that that has such a lasting effect on the cricket of, of both of those teams. And the Netherlands were profiting from what the Super League was. And it was cricket with context. Not that the English team seemed to know when they were playing Ireland in that series at home that they managed <laughs> yeah. to lose a, lose a game from. But the framework was there. And we were the first people to stand up and applaud the positive change. Yes, it wasn't perfect, but it was infinitely better than what there was before. And we seem to be going backwards again. Uh, it just... Uh, I just can't... How can people sit there and look at the way that the rankings are put together and deem that they work? Bangladesh were the sixth-ranked T20I team before the World Cup started because they hosted two home series against an understrength Australia and an understrength New Zealand in Mirpur on... The rice paddy. Yeah, on the worst international <laughs> pitch, arguably, in the full member world. They were the sixth best team, according to the T20I rankings, but they also had to go through the first round, and they didn't top the group because Scotland beat them first up. Well, I mean, the, the whole problem is just a fundamental lack of imagination. You know, as Tim mentioned, if the issue is, oh, well, you know, our calendars are too crowded, whatever, blah, 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 you know, <laughs> that that old excuse, you know, do it in, in groups and, and just have, you know, a few series or, or, you know, something. There are ways around this that don't involve, I mean, you know, cutting the number of guaranteed matches would not be great, but, you know, there are ways around this and just no one seems to have made any effort. And I guess it goes back to the, the point about the C EC having only three associate reps on it. How effective were they at advocating for the associates' interests? I mean, none of the reps came from countries that were, you know, high-performing associates. And we, we've talked a little bit about um, the kind of rumblings down below with the the sort of you know, higher-performing associates wanting better representation. And I mean, maybe they have a point because if they can't save the Super League, I mean, I'm not putting the blame on the associate reps here. That all three of them out of you know 15 or whatever. But you know, if if you can't fight for this pathway, or you know. If, if no one at the CEC is 
he's willing to keep the pathway, what's the point? It's just ridiculous. And yeah, again, just lack of creativity. They said that, oh, well, it's a 14-team event, so we can just go on rankings. Fine. Okay. Do that. Why not use the Super League to qualify for the Champions Trophy since you're bringing that back? Top eight from that go to... And then the Netherlands have a, a, a slim but an actual chance of, <laughs> of of going to the Champions Trophy. Isn't that a great incentive for, for teams to move up in the ranking? It, it's just... It, yeah, the rankings are just so bad. Or, or even regional qualifying. Like, you know, you talked about FIFA and they have regional qualifying structures. Think about... We've just had the Africa... Uh, regional final, what if, let's say, Zimbabwe and South Africa were in that and, you know, Uganda, Kenya, Tanzania fought for the opportunity to play against them in a a regional final or something along those lines. You know, there's things you can do to involve the higher-ranked teams and it it wouldn't take a huge amount of time out of their calendar to play a a quick tournament in a qualification or... uh, There's just... It's so frustrating that nobody seems to be able to see beyond the most obvious and, and basic way of doing things. Uh, let's move on. Um, let's talk about the final team of the 16-team setup for the next T20 Men's World Cup has been determined with Uganda winning the uh, Africa region competition, doing so after losing their first game, coming back and and, and topping the, the table after a, a double round robin. Nick, you watched a lot of this and we've got all 16 teams locked in, ready for what will be a fiercely competitive two groups of eight qualifier with, with two teams coming out of, of each of those qualifiers. And we'll get to all of those teams in a moment and, and probably have a brief discussion on that. But Uganda booked the final ticket and it's been a pretty good period for Uganda in Challenge League cricket. Under-19 cricket qualifying for a World Cup there as well on the men's side. And the senior men once again coming through. A pretty tricky qualifier with both Kenya and and Tanzania threatening them as well. Yeah, it was a pretty good tournament. Um, As I just said, it would have been a lot more fun if, say, Zimbabwe and uh, South Africa were involved in making it a a truly regional final. But yeah, good stuff for Uganda. Uh, A one-run loss in the first game on the first morning against Kenya. Um, They got a bit bogged down and then uh, got a real head of steam up but couldn't quite get there. I think they hit 19 runs off the last over, but they just came up short. But uh, yeah, they they got over the line in the return match at the end. Kenya beaten uh, by Tanzania on the first day. They got thrashed, really. Mm. Uh, so you know, Kenya continue to be uh, pretty pretty unpredictable uh, after you know everyone. Oh, where's where's Kenya? What happened to Kenya? Well, Kenya loses to Tanzania now, so. That's what's happened to Kenya. But yeah, Uganda reliant a bit on Dinesh Nakrani in the middle order. He had a good tournament, um, 141 runs out once uh, at the the second best strike rate of the tournament, hitting at 156. Uh, the only person ahead of him was was Kenya's Shemin Gotche, but he only scored 42 runs. So he was pretty important coming in down the order, providing a bit of momentum um, the top order. Simon Sasazi was okay at the top. Ranak Patel, again, had his moments. I think... I mean, every, everyone loves a, a chunky cricketer. We, we all know uh, Rakeem the, the Dream Cornwall, but uh, I think Ronak Patel, he was involved in a run out, had a couple of uh, tricky moments uh, with, with the field. <laughs> I don't know. Either, either learn to, yeah, maybe a couple of Inzamam moments, you could call it. Just <laughs> oh, le- learn to run a bit better or, you know, play within your limits in terms of running between the wickets because... Underappreciated skill running between the wickets, especially... Especially for the big men because, yeah, poor old Ronak... 
running quick singles is, uh, let's just say that's not his uh, strength. Yeah, you, you're costing yourself vital runs in qualification matches like this if yeah, if you can't work out how to run. There's a difference between being fast and being a good runner between wickets. Absolutely. That's true as well. Although I would say Renek Patel is neither. <laughs> yes. I mean, it does help if you can run like a hare in between wickets. But yeah, on on the bowling side of things, they were pretty impressive with their spin attack. Frank Nasubaga. Good old Frank. Ah, he's eternal. Yes. Started in 1997 playing for Eastern Central Africa. Still going miserly as ever. 4.2 economy rate. Bowling in the power play, which was very impressive. Um, He's got that sort of tight, hustling spin bowler thing down pat in the power play. Frank Akinquaza, perhaps the the heir apparent, looked pretty promising with his off spin. Uh, Got a 4 for 10. Wrecked Tanzania. And he can also smash it around with the bat. So he's a handy prospect. Henry Senyondo, again, um, pretty tidy, but they, they really missed a seam attack. Uh, Riazat Ali Shah went for runs. Dinesh Nakrani, again, he's left-handed, so he bowls some, some decent medium pace, but yeah, he's, he's a bit anonymous. Uh, Bill Al-Hassan didn't really do a whole lot, so if they can find a quick or two, I think they'll be a lot more threatening at the next level up. Their, their spin stocks look okay, but yeah, the, the seam attack's just the issue. Poor old Kenya, uh, as we said, um, they're just not consistent enough. Uh, Rakat Patel was in pretty good form. He, he was hitting it really nicely. Alex Abanda, uh, there's there's name we all remember from, from about 10 years ago, uh, which is kind of an issue for Kenya. But uh, yeah, Alex Abanda hit a ton against Nigeria. Looked pretty dangerous in his other innings. Uh, Vraj Patel, left arm orthodox, only played three matches, but um, he looked pretty threatening as well with the ball. But um, ultimately, yeah, I think the problem really is that if you look back 10 years ago, the same core name group, I mean, other than Steve Ticolo, uh, 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 you know, Raket, Patel, Shemin Gotche, Otieno, Odiambo, Collins Abuya, <laughs> still Whoa. still chugging along. Um, he's, I mean, he's still okay, but that's the thing. You know, these guys who are still okay after playing for 20 years for Kenya, you know, where's where's the next generation coming from? There's, there's no one coming up to replace them, and, and that's just the problem. They're still hanging on through the, the veterans, and, and I guess unless they can find some, some talent, you know, production, they're, they're going to still just sort of be bouncing up and down around this kind of regional qualification level. Um, Tanzania, yeah, they, they looked really impressive beating Kenya on day one um, with, with Arshan Jasani smashing 90. Riziko Kaseto took 4 for 17 to, to really derail the Kenyan chase. But I think, again, consistency was, was the problem. And you talked about Uganda having a good sort of couple of years. They've, um, yeah, since uh, since they won that Challenge League leg uh they won all five of their matches yeah they've looked really good and and that's been at um even at ladies level and yeah under 19s as well so it's just been consistency and and being able to just put it together and put it together and um they held their nerve in in the final and um yeah nigeria the fourth team involved in this final i think they've sort of found their ceiling they got very lucky um at at the last regional finals which was how they uh progressed to the t20 world cup global qualifiers in 2019 i think in the sort of medium term they're looking pretty good they've got a lot of uh, development work going on and and you know identifying talent and building facilities but just for now they might struggle to get you know get past here they looked okay in patches a couple of decent performers but they they just couldn't quite put it together but uh, elsewhere in Uganda, we, we saw some interesting... Oh, yes. <laughs> this is a very strange story. I, I, I don't know... <laughs> I don't really know where to start with this, yeah. but it's very important that we bring it up. So, uh, just I've got, I've got the story up 
here again because it kind of needs to be read almost verbatim for us to kind of comprehend what's going on here. So I don't even know how I came across this. I think it was on Twitter. I can't remember who shared it. Police operatives together with officials from Uganda Registration Services Bureau this morning raided the offices of Ugandan Cricket Association and impounded a number of tools the association has allegedly been using to infringe the copyright of Daffabet Uganda Limited. Now, they they used Daffabet's name as a sponsor for a tournament. Can't really work out 100% why. We thought, Nick, you and me, kind of thought there was them trying to kind of create this verisimilitude, this veracity of this tournament being sponsored when it wasn't and, and maybe trying to show that it was a little bit bigger than it was. And then we put it to Bertus de Jong and, and Peter Della Pena and, and Andrew Leonard and I think Bertus came back and said, look, it looks as if it's a case potentially of mistaken identity where there's two daffabets and they've used the wrong one. <laughs> And it's it's a, a very confusing story. I implore anyone to, to try and find it and make sense of, of what happened there. Yeah, uh, so it's, it's very bizarre. So it seems like there's a company in Uganda called Daffabet who uh, noticed the UCA running a tournament with their name on it and, and got upset about that. But then, of course, there's the other Daffabet, the one that's involved in cricket, um, which is an Indian, well, based in the Philippines, gambling company that... Um, so, presumably, the Ugandan Daffabet wasn't aware that there was a um, an Indian Daffabet or vice versa. So, <laughs> poor old UCA uh, seem, seem like they're caught in the middle here. And for some reason, they got served with the copyright violations for having a sponsor called Daffabet rather than Daffabet being served with the copyright violations. But then, you know, because, I mean, there's, there's a lot of strange threads here because if, if that's not what happened... We're back to square one because why on earth would you pretend to have Daffabet sponsoring you? They're not that big a name, surely. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, look, if anyone has more <laughs> details surrounding this, feel free to get in touch because, again, we're scratching our head. But but then the other <laughs> the other side of it is that if it is the case of there just being two Daffabets, I mean that that does make sense on one level. But then why would why would the Ugandan Daffabet go after the UCA? <laughs> They're an associate cricket organisation. They don't they don't have much money. Yeah, you know, the Indian gambling company is going to be the one you want to target in court. It, it's just very weird. Yeah, you would think that there'd just be sort of a cease and desist, and and everything would kind of go away. But it doesn't seem to have ended up. Like that. Well, no, they've they've had cops bust in and and confiscate their laptops. Walking out with the yeah the hard drives as well. The images of them with big suitcases of hard drives and and laptops being sent for investigation. It's it's bizarre. Highly irregular. Yeah, and it's not even the the first time Uganda. Poor old UCA. They've they've had some uh, strange challenges in their time. In a couple of years ago, I think it was 2019. The government allowed a, a celebrity preacher called Elvis Mbonye to use their the Logogo oval for his um his meetings, and they were trying to practice for some <laughs> upcoming qualifiers and having you know thousands of people meeting together for you know big events wasn't very helpful on the field. And uh, eventually, the cricket community complained enough. They they roasted this preacher because he reckons that uh, cricket is not a high-intensity sport, so it's okay to <laughs> have thousands of people walking all over the pitch. <laughs> He's obviously never run for a ball that's heading to the boundary then. Yeah, so um, the basically the Ugandan cricket Twitter roasted this celebrity preacher until the, they, they backed off. So Ugandan cricket Twitter is actually one of the, one of the better scenes out there. Um, oh, uh, yeah. A lot of entertaining tweets. That whole region. Yeah. There's a lot of rivalry in that 
region of cricket and it's just a different subculture of cricket that's kind of taken its own identity it's, it's unbelievable when you read some of the, the sledging that goes on just thinking about how even some of the national boards describe their victories in, in <laughs> match reports and things like that yeah they don't they don't pull punches do they <laughs> i tell you what they they yeah they no holds barred there's no high modality of speech in, in the way that they go about a lot of their business and to be honest it actually is rather refreshing but To bring it back to action on the field, it does show that there is a lot of quality there. Nigeria at the senior level have been at a qualifier. They're under-19s, competed at a World Cup. Tanzania threatened in the under-19 qualifier in Africa again. Uganda got through and celebrated qualifying as well. And just one more thing on the Under-19 World Cup, with New Zealand pulling out due to COVID, it's meant that Scotland are actually heading Mm. as well to that tournament early next year, as well as Ireland from from Europe. So there is a big emerging presence. But again, to bring it back to the competition, it is a hotbed at the moment. You you look around, Zimbabwe will re-enter the global qualification fray again here for the next T20 World Cup. And we'll go through all 16 of those teams in in a moment. But... You can rattle off so many names. I mean, South Africa aren't in a, in a great way at the moment, but they were okay at the World Cup. Then you've got Namibia, who performs really well at the World Cup. Zimbabwe come back. Tanzania looks strong. Uganda looks strong in all facets. Nigeria have the people power. You would think that they'd be relevant again. You've got to think that there is a lot of potential in that area, and, and you would like to think that the way that the development is done in that part of the world can really formulate or really produce a, a really strong product of cricket. Botswana beat Namibia at the, the, the T20 World Cup qualifier sub-regionals for the last cycle, and yes, Namibia did rest a number of their players, but it is a testament to the, the strength collectively, collectively across the region. Let's go through the, the global qualifiers or the teams that will make up the 16 uh, in two groups of eight. Those two groups of eight have not been made public. There have been some murmurs about how they will be divided, but nothing set in stone yet. So just to go through it quickly, Ireland, the Netherlands, Oman, PNG, Nepal, UAE, Singapore, Zimbabwe, Uganda, USA, Canada, Bahrain, Hong Kong, Philippines, Jersey, and Germany. And only four teams from that 16 go through. It's an even more competitive field than two years ago at the last qualifier, arguably. And talking to Herr Erasmus two weeks ago, he's very relieved that they don't have to go through this again, which is, you know, it goes to show just how strong it can be. A couple of teams there you would probably rule out, but I've got to say they're probably just eyeballing it at the moment, boys. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight or nine teams would would realistically give that tournament a, a pretty good shake. And, and yeah, I'm, I'm not willing to play the uh, prediction game anytime soon. One, because we don't know how those groups will shake out. But two, it just looks to be a pretty competitive field, Tim. Nail on the head, Daniel. Yeah, I was doing the same thing as you were talking, going counting down, you know, Ireland, Netherlands, Oman, PNG, you know, they've just been at a World Cup. You've got to have them there as contenders. Nepal, first time at a global qualifier since 2015. USA were at that same qualifier in 2015. So two of the, let's call them the darlings of the development in you know the factors of ICC's investment in both countries. UAE have been just getting better and better despite losing a number of their players to fixing convictions. And you keep going down. I'd look. This Canada will do something special and then break Port Nick's heart. We know the talent that Hong Kong's got, and we've just been talking about the likes of Uganda, who are really seeing their sights sights high as they continue to build. So oh, it's going to be two cracking tournaments. And yes, it would have been great if this was all in all in one. But theoretically. 
theoretically we're getting that <laughs> the same two groups that we're just not going to see the crossovers um, we're just going to see this at two little mini tournaments do we know how the they're going to be formatted whether a single round robin meaning they play seven games or whether you do two groups of four and double round robin and then and then go forward but yeah i'm looking forward to it you know Likewise with the, the women's qualifier going on at the moment as we get our Thailand on. But this is going to be... I don't like the two events being a long distance apart, though, in terms of time. It just seems a bit strange that you'd have two side-by-side tournaments. Things should be as similar as possible, play at the same time. Um, I know one's in Zimbabwe and one's in Oman. But you just think that if you've got two events like that, so they need to be closer to each other. But yeah, I guess as we've been watching the the women's qualifier, I wonder what level of production we're going to get for these events. Mm. Because, you know, we know that the global qualifiers have got the full treatment and the full TV broadcast level. I hope we're going to get the same for these events and it's not going to be pushed back to a three camera stream that we've been getting for the other other qualifiers. But if you need a commentator. Got a whole network of commentators available. <laughs> And finally, Tim, uh, as we wrap up, and probably should be worth mentioning now that we'll wrap the Women's Cricket World Cup qualifier in its entirety once the tournament is over, as we record, we're awkwardly into the second and third day of action. So don't really want to wrap it until it's done, although there have been some positive results on the emerging side, Thailand winning on match day one. But looking ahead to some Super League cricket that will actually be played, and it's it's a little bit strange to be looking at the Super League under the guise of hope, knowing that it's very likely that this is the last time we'll see it. I think from an emerging standpoint, we now really want the Netherlands to do exceptionally well. It's not as if we we wanted them to do poorly beforehand anyway, but given its significance and given the the precedent it can set and, and potentially the headlines it can make and the legacy that it leaves... The Netherlands take on South Africa in, in three one-day internationals as part of World Cup qualification for 2023. They take on South Africa. The Dutch should know the South African team fairly well, given that there are a number of South African players actually in the Dutch team. But they've gone out, they've played against an invitational 11. I've got to say they've probably not learnt too much given the result in a in a huge victory, putting up something like 434 after already passing the total that was set. It's a dangerous number, isn't it? I did think about that, and I, I thought at one point it might have been the same ground where Australia put up 434. It wasn't. Max O'Dowd, once again, in the runs, he's in unbelievable form. A lot of guys do need to step up. Uh, Ryan Tenderskart is working in, in a mentoring role. Ryan Campbell's very, very keen to right the wrongs of the T20 World Cup campaign. It's good that they're actually getting out and, and prepping themselves with some matches. One of the things we bemoaned about their campaign was there seemed to be on the outside of lack of organisation in regards to, to fixtures and, and Campbell and and the team being underdone. I think looking back in retrospect, Tim, and, and you know Cambo better than, than I do, but I think he said something in the press conference in the lead up to the tournament where he said, look, I still don't know what my best 11 was. And at first we kind of thought, oh, that's just because he's got a really strong squad and he can pick 15 players. But if you want to read between the lines a little bit here, Tim, it, it might have actually been almost a bit of a call for help, knowing that they probably didn't get the right preparation in the eyes of, of the team and it reflected on the field. But... It's a good opportunity now in in 50 over cricket, which is probably the better of the two formats for the Netherlands. I'm sure you probably agree. This is a good chance to right the wrongs and maybe jag one or two victories in the Super League, which would be much needed 
and a few South African players sitting out this series as well might give them an opportunity to uh, pull off a couple of victories. Yeah, and it's always tough looking at these things retrospectively, isn't it? And trying to double guess or, you know, to work out what Cambo might have been saying. Oh, I still think at the time he was saying that he's got so much talent in the squad and that that's where he thought they were at. But I think we know now that their preparation and the lack of contributed it really negatively to their performances um, where there's nowhere to hide in that three-game group situation. But yeah, I think you, you wrapped it perfectly there of what they'll be looking to, to bounce back from albeit now as much as well as we want them to do you know because part of the super league and placement and ongoing qualification meant that if they finished outside of that last place their position in the World Cup qualifier could determine whether they would stay in the Super League or not or whether a full member could potentially go go down. But no Super League tells me that there's still not going to be that jeopardy, which I really liked about connecting the Super League to the qualifier and the future and actually rewarding performances in recent cricket, unlike just going off the rankings, which I know is a, is a dirty word. So, you know, a few changes in that lineup. Um, but hopefully they've got the breathing room being away from home and just being able to stretch their legs a bit and get the proper prep, assuming they get to come up against some of those teams that will actually give them give them a challenge. But yeah, um, like you said, if they can snag a win or two, it really does open up that Super League. Uh, well, at least it opens up as far as it would have been if we were looking at who could finish last and potentially drop down as, as a full member, which I guess just puts a real dark cloud over this whole thing, doesn't it? When yeah. we talk about that even the jeopardy that existed in a imperfect Super League has now just been ripped from beneath us and look I'm sure it's hard for the, the Dutch players as well to be going out there and playing knowing that look we're probably not going to be in the top eight so we're going to be back to the qualifier you know so what are, we, what are we playing for and actually getting out and I know there's the pride of playing international cricket for your country but it just had that taken out mid-tournament really of, of saying what's um, what's no longer to play for will definitely weigh on them but um yeah, look, the, the better they can do, the more we can just show uh, how wrong this decision was by the ICC. Yeah, spot on. Uh, and hopefully, yeah, we'll see some good come out of that. Uh, by the time you listen to this, the Super League fixtures between the two sides will already be underway, most likely. So make sure to catch all of the action there. I think that's everything in the emerging game. Nick and Tim. Jeff Allardyce was appointed uh, on a permanent basis as the ICC CEO as well. I hope he doesn't remember me uh, arguing with him at that, that first ICC conference about trying to get sixes in the Olympics. On the- <laughs> uh, anyway, boys, it's a pleasure as always. Great to be back with the pair of you. To keep up with news and events from Cricket's New World, make sure to log on to emergingcricket.com. Follow us on all your various social media platforms. And as you already know, the podcast is available wherever you listen to podcasts. And of course, we've got a Patreon page as well with some exclusive content from just as little as two US dollars a month. You can sign up and grab some exclusive content and help us keep the lights on, as Tim likes to say as well. But For now, on behalf of Tim and Nick, I'm Daniel Beswick, and you've just listened to another Emerging Cricket Podcast.